morning and welcome to the Movies Are Good podcast. That's right, Movies Are Good podcast. It's like if you stumbled into your random bodega and just kind of listened for an hour to the random guy at the counter spitting shit about movies. Except the bodega probably has better lighting. Speaking of bodegas, Scream 6 came out this week and I can't wait to talk about it, but we're going to. You know why? Because... Movies aren't all good, and 65 came out this week, I just got back from seeing it, and I cannot quite fathom what happened there. So, good morning, welcome to the podcast, my name is Pi Man, I'll be your host. I, uh, I decided mostly I wanted to do a podcast because, well, I thought there'd be a, there'd be a nicer thing to have on my YouTube channel, and I thought I might as well add that to other places. And a podcast is how that works. You need to you need to do it in that format. Uh, mostly, it's uh, it's called movies are good because I think in essence movies are good, you know. And also, people spend a lot of time when they go out to make a podcast, it's coming up with the perfect name, perfect topics, perfect people to do it with. And I just ignored all that. I got my sister to put uh, movies new releases into a podcast generator name, and AI gifted me this glorious opportunity to call it Movies Are Good. And I do think most movies are good, but uh, at the same time, they're not, are they? And 65, well, <laughs> let's start with that. That came out this week. It stars Adam Driver as a pilot who comes from, I can't remember what the planet was called, it was some dumb name. Uh, it's not Earth, but... Then he gets to Earth by crashing and killing all of his passengers. So I guess he's not a very good pilot, but we'll ignore that part. Basically, he's he's got a very depressing story. His daughter is dying from some illness. He takes on this huge long trip to go all this way out there, maybe past a certain celestial body we're familiar with, just so he can pay for her treatment. I, it's unspecified. You know, some space disease, probably. And uh, then he gets there, and by the time he crash lands on Earth, which is not even where he's meant to be going, his daughter is uh, dead. So that, um, yeah, that just sucks, and it's very, very sad. But now he gets this kind of backup opportunity to be a good parent by helping this little girl who survived the crash, who has been orphaned by the crash, to, uh, to get her back home, I suppose. Or wherever they were going. It's unclear what they do at the end of the film. But uh, the, there are a few things that I have problems with in this film. The first one, and this it, it isn't really important in the grander scheme of things. But they say at the beginning, obviously they get out, they get clear, they find each other. And then they have to get to this other part of the ship, which broke into pieces when it crashed, to get to this escape pod. And I, my first big problem is... <laughs> They say it's 15 kilometers away. Now, I've never done a journey through, like, harsh jungle filled with dinosaurs, okay? <laughs> but even so, it's a, it's a three, maybe four-hour walk on a good day, all right? Not even, not even four hours. For some reason, it takes them a full three days to get there, and that just frustrated me, because you could have just put it further away, you know? <laughs> like, they get trapped in a cave at one point for a few hours, and it's unclear how long they're down there for, I guess, and... But still, it just doesn't make sense. They're they're not really dealing with that many different dinosaurs. That is another big problem, though. My second big issue with this film is that it seems like it just made up some dinosaurs. I, I've i certainly never seen some of the ones that it came up with. And okay, I guess the producers could say, yeah, but we came up with new dinosaurs because how do we know science has found them all? But it still feels like it negates the point of the film to not just use dinosaurs. <laughs> like there was a T-Rex, that was a whole big thing. There are some good scenes with the T-Rex, but yeah. I don't get why they would need to make up more unique ones. It just, it, it doesn't make any sense. There were these ones crawling around in all fours like lizards. I don't get it, personally. My third big problem is the runtime. It really, it really bothered me because the film barely scrapes 90 minutes. It felt so short, which I guess is a good thing. It felt like a roller coaster ride, but not one of those ones that you actually get off and go, wow, yeah, that was great. One of those ones where you get off and you go, ah, oh, that wasn't worth waiting in the line. It's just not 
it, it kind of has a couple of really good sequences. Feels like it starts to get going. Feels like their relationship, yeah, it's kind of, they didn't trust each other. They start to trust each other. They can trust each other. Great. No, no, no. Then it just ends. <laughs> and I have to say, the final dinosaur kill is so, so insane that it really, it hurt my brain to witness. It, like, if you had made this into a roller coaster ride at a Disney World park or something, it would have been a lot more entertaining. <laughs> and you would have accepted all of the flaws in the story because they were just, they're just silly. But in a theme park setting, where it's got some video of these actors running around doing this stuff, it's meant to be. That'll be okay. In an actual movie, gosh. And one that, because they said, oh, from the producers of A Quiet Place, it was going to be compared to that. Oh, don't compare this film to that, you'll only hurt yourself. And another big problem with it is, they couldn't even develop a proper relationship, the two leads. Adam Driver, you know, I think he's very good. I've seen him in a lot of just stuff that I don't actually like, but I think Adam Driver is very good. I have no problem with him being the lead in an action movie. And Ariana Greenblatt, wonderful actress, wonderful young actress. You know, I've seen her in a couple of things like Love and Monsters, where I just thought, wow, for her age, she is doing incredibly well. They've got her pretending she's nine in this film, which I thought was a bit of a stretch. She's like 15 now. But, uh, but they got away with that, mostly by not actually having her speak. Yeah, hardly at all. She doesn't speak the same language as Adam Driver's character. And <laughs> it is so baffling to me that, um, that they didn't have them speaking the same language. You know, any emotional conversations, anything they could have had, it's just all negated. Because instead, all they have her do is babble in not a real language, I'm pretty sure, and then repeat words that he says back to her. Like, she'll just say, oh, move, and then she seems to understand it, even though she doesn't speak the language. He'll just, he'll just start explaining something, she'll repeat one word back, and then she seems to get it. I, like, either she's incredibly intuitive, can read his mind, or she does understand the language and she's just fucking with him the entire film. <laughs> that was what I was assuming was happening, that at some point she would just reveal she can't actually speak the language. She never did, <laughs> and that was crazy to me. But uh, fair enough, you know, it's an interesting, bold choice to go for. My my issues, yeah, there's, there's a few of them. Um, overall, there was some good moments, some good scenes, but I just couldn't recommend to anyone that they actually go see this. It just wasn't anywhere near what I kind of vaguely hoped it would be, but honestly... I don't know that I ever had really solid expectations for this one. I didn't go in expecting to hate it, though, which I do sometimes, and I'll admit when I do. This one, I kind of went in thinking, okay, yeah, nice blockbuster, here we go. And gosh, they couldn't even figure out how to say they're on Earth 65 million years ago when they landed. Instead, like 20 minutes into the film, it comes up with a title sequence saying, 65, and then below it goes, million years ago, <laughs> and then below it goes, these people crash-landed on Earth. <laughs> that felt so ridiculous. It felt so dumb. It's such a shame because I don't want them to abandon the idea of Adam Driver as an action hero. I feel like he definitely could do it. If, if you made a few changes to this, even this could have worked out pretty well. But it, it really didn't. And I'm afraid that he's going to go back to doing weird Noah Baumbach films. I did not enjoy White Noise. Marriage Story was okay. But sad. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on because segues are hard. Scream 6 came out this week. And I have to talk about this a lot because I am a major Scream fan. Ever since I... Oh, I mean, my introduction to horror was when I was about 12 years old-ish. My sister had all these films in her room on DVD, which were like... Film horror films from the noughties, which mostly were bad. She had the remake of Prom Night. She had the Wrong Turn movies. She had uh, a film called Venom, not not the Tom Hardy one. That was bad. Yeah, um, One Missed Call, the American remake. Yeah, things like that. Um, and they weren't very good, mostly. But she had Scream. She had the original Scream trilogy. This was actually was this before when I was twelve? Yeah, no, this would have been before Scream Four even. So, she had the original Scream trilogy, and I fell so hard in love with those films. Maybe it was because of a lack of choice, because all the other films I could fall in love with there were real bad. When a Stranger Calls the Remake. Yeah, that was also there. 
a film called Amusement, which was not amusing. It was bad. It was a bad list. Um, but that was great. The Scream films just drew me in so hard. The original Scream is bordering on? I'd say it probably is my favourite horror ever. There's things like The Thing, like Alien, which I think, oh yeah, those are really, really all-time greats. But when I watch Scream, it's just it's something different, you know? Scream 6, it's set in New York this time, which i got to say, first off, it really does a good job of using. You think back to, like, Scream 2, it got the opportunity, it was like, right, we're going to college, we're going out of Woodsboro. It kind of blew it, as far as the location was concerned. It didn't really use the fact that they were at college to do anything fun. It didn't use the fact that they were in a new, bigger city than Woodsboro to do anything fun. Scream 6 does. A lot of the scenes are kind of focused on the fact that they are in New York, which is a nice change of pace. It works well, I have to say. And um, the other big expectation I had for this was brutality. The trailers, oh my goodness, they just looked crazy brutal, okay? And on that front, in some ways, I'm a little bit let down about this one, but I still really enjoyed it, okay? So... Uh, Sam and Tara, the Carpenter sisters, they've moved to New York together. And all of their friends came with them. Yeah, Chad and Mindy came with them. Which is interesting because... We're, we're just going to ignore the fact that those three all ended up at the same college and then her sister followed her there. That's... It's a little bizarre, you know? And, and Woodsboro is in California, right? So they literally, all four of them went to a, uh, the same college the whole way across the country. That's fine. Uh, they've got a new cast of characters around them. Mindy's got a girlfriend, Annika. Oh, boy, no. Uh, Tara and Sam have got a new roommate, Quinn. Chad's got a new roommate, Ethan. Ah, uh, oh. And, yeah, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good little rounded-out new cast. It feels solid enough. I enjoyed the friend group a lot more in 2022 Scream, but this, this was a good put-together friend group for college times, you know? Um, other new characters, well, we've got Kirby returning from Scream 4, which was interesting. It was a weird decision. She was kind of this fan favorite character in Scream 4. She seemingly died and then just suddenly came back so that she could come back for this one. It felt a little bizarre. It was nice to see Hidden Panter again. And she's in the FBI now, which was a bit of a swerve, but was a good way to actually keep her useful and there, I guess. So, um, it, it was an interesting character to bring back, yeah. Um, the other, the thing for me, I don't want to spoil it fully, but there weren't enough key deaths, if you know what I mean. Scream 2022, it really, it felt like it was like, oh, they raised the stakes because they killed Dewey. This one, it doesn't have a moment like that. That's all I'll say. And uh, that did kind of let it down. I thought it was, it, it feels like just a a throwaway. You know, this this one doesn't matter. They're already planning on filming Scream 7 this year. So this was fully a, okay, let's just move along, keep the characters running <laughs> through this one. It, as much as it had, like, some, oh, moments to it, and it, it had a good finale, and it felt like, you know, a very nice tribute to the whole franchise almost throughout the film. Uh, the fact that the killer is leaving, like, old ghost face masks used by the other killers at the scene of the crimes. That was interesting. Trying to free him, Sam, was a, a bit of a dumb side plot. It was The killer was trying from the beginning. Uh, one of the first kills is her psychiatrist, who she'd had an argument with a couple days ago. That kind of thing. It was, it was leaving her ID at the scene of crimes and things like that. And that was dumb because, A, we kind of knew that wasn't actually going to go anywhere. <laughs> as much as these trolls online were kind of going at her for having killed everyone in the last film when she didn't, it, w it was a bit of a dumb side plot, and it didn't really seem to go anywhere. It just was dropped halfway through. Um, but there are there are some great moments and great scenes that I have to acknowledge about this one. My favorite, I think, is probably the bodega scene. This, oh my goodness, watch out for that one, because it's the best example of just crazy New York brutality <laughs> in this film, and uh, I love that. Um, the subway scene that we kind of all seen in the trailers, it was a little bit of a letdown, that one. I was I was hoping for slightly more out of that. 
Um, I was hoping that would be a real crazy scene instead of a let's pretend that all these people on the subway don't just sit and look around them and would see what's going on scene. Yeah, so that was a bit of a letdown. Um, there was a great scene uh, in Sam and Tara's apartment where the, some of them are trying to escape by climbing on a ladder across an alley to this other guy's apartment. And, oh, yeah, that was a well-put-together one that I enjoyed. That was maybe the best scene in the film, actually. There are a great lot of ones like that. The finale placement and the reveals, it's well done. It's interesting. I was at one point really worried that they were going to do a kind of, there was a whole, like, cult, and they were all Ghostface, like a, like a whole, like, load of people. Um, they didn't. So rest assured, that's not a thing. <laughs> like at one point, I was going, "Oh no, oh no, no! How many are there? This is going to get silly." No, no, it it doesn't really get that ridiculous. It um it ends strongly. It keeps enough people alive that can go into Scream Seven and actually get you hyped about it again. And um, yeah, I'm glad. I think if you look back in the Scream franchise, one of the big regrets I think that they seem to have was killing off Randy in Scream Two. Okay, and they kind of managed to, through a dumbass videotape, use him in Scream 3 anyway. I think Scream 3 would have been stronger had he been kept alive. Because imagine, in the context of Scream 3, the kind of role he could have played there. So, I'm glad there are certain characters who may or may not be similar to Randy that they, they did not kill off this time around. Yeah. That is a good thing. Um, there are a lot of good things about this film. If I had to rank it overall, I mean, ranking the franchise, poor. it hasn't changed for me. You know, when you watch SPAC, some franchises, they change for you over the years as they go. You kind of think, actually, this one, this one's a bit better than that one. Not with Scream. Not for me. No. Um, when I was when I was young and I first watched them as a trilogy, I was like, okay, Scream 3 is at the bottom. All right. Then Scream 2. Then Scream. And that has remained the same. And the other films that have come out since have just kind of slotted in around them and never really changed position. Uh, Scream 3 is at the bottom for me. I... Oh, <laughs> I don't. I still don't think there's a bad scream movie. Okay, this is the worst scream movie for sure. It's um, it's quite a ways below any of the others for me. I still don't think it's really bad. I I don't bother skipping it when I'm watching back through the franchise, which I do semi regularly, uh, and that is saying something because, yeah. <laughs> It's got some problems. They could have done a lot more with some of these actors they brought in to play the to play the actors on the set of Stab 3. Uh, for, like, for instance, Emily Mortimer, I love. Uh, in like, the newsroom and stuff, I think she's fantastic. They could have done a lot more with her. They just didn't. <laughs> they just didn't. I thought it was a shame to only have one killer at the end. It kind of... Yeah, it didn't, it didn't work that well in the end. The essence is there's two, and that is good. And... Well, maybe some other films have changed that along the way, but <laughs> uh, in general, 2 is when it works best, I think, for a finale. Um, then Scream 2. You know, Scream 3 at the bottom, then Scream 2 for me. I I don't have any problem with Scream 2. It just doesn't have anything that really draws me in, in the way that all the others do. It it just happened. I, I liked the final reveal of Billy's mother, but, yeah, I don't know. It kind of annoys me in the whodunit sense because, well, you were never going to guess her, were you? <laughs> you were never going to guess her because there was no visible anything anywhere near motive. And then they just reveal that there is right at the end. I, that, that, that irritates me a little bit, you know? Um, then Scream 4. And Scream 4, you know, it hasn't lessened for me over the years. That's the one that I would have thought... Oh, after you realize that it's Jill, you're going to watch it back a second time and not really like it as much. No, I think it's very interesting the way they build up to that reveal. I think, gosh, watching it back, Kirby, she got so screwed. Oh, oh, her and Charlie and his betrayal of her, that is savage. That is maybe the most savage moment in the entire series, which is saying something. That was an awesome reveal as well. Um, the whole film just... It's such a meta idea, this pull out the rug. You think this is like a reboot kind of of the franchise, a soft reboot. Nope. <laughs> nope. You thought Jill was the new lead? Nope. <laughs> it was a very scream way to bring it back after all that time. I loved that. But 
These new requels on them, they're pretty good. Yeah, Scream 6 is next for me. It's it's not it's not got the same level. I already talked about that. It's not got the same level of pizzazz that um that Scream 2022 had for me. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just think it could have it could have done more. Um the New York setting it used well. I really loved I didn't I forgot to mention the first kill, uh Samara Weaving. I love her, I love the babysitter, I love Ready or Not, and I was really appreciative of that. And her being a film studies professor, specializing in slasher movies, a little bit much, but pretty funny. <laughs> I enjoyed that first kill, and uh, and the whole opening sequence of Scream 6. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. That was well done, yeah. Um, but yeah, Scream 6 overall, it's, it is better for me than Scream 2, 3, or 4. Which is saying quite a lot. You know, I, I really enjoy some of those films. Scream 6, it, it, it could have been as good as the requel, and it wasn't. I think the requel obviously had advantages over this one, but it still, it could have hit the same height. It was close to it for me, but it wasn't quite there. Uh, Scream 2022, or Scream 5, if you just want to not get madly confused. Um, that is genius. I, as, as someone who's been watching the original Scream, and it's basically his favourite horror movie, and um, I've been re-watching it for uh, half my life. Yeah, half my life now, at least. I thought this did so incredibly well. Uh, everything Wes Craven would have wanted it to be, if he'd been around to do another one. I say that never having met the man, but you know what I mean. <laughs> From everything he did, particularly in Scream 4, if he'd brought it back and wanted to do an actual new trilogy, I think the first one couldn't have done it better. It was perfect. It had so many great mirrors to the original, but also Sam is this new darker lead. Oh, she was great. The final kill on Richie is brilliant when she just goes for it and stabs him. Well, 22 times, was it? That is genius. I, I love that so much. Um, the actual group of friends that Tara had, brilliant. Fantastic modern version of that original group of friends. Loved it. Thought that was so well done. Many of the kills, just really great. The fact that they were bold enough to actually put it in Stu Macker's house again, the party. Now, there's so many things about the requel scream that I want to say that did too much. But for uh, but it still just made me go watching it in the cinema, and every time I watch it back, I'm still going. Whoa. I can't help myself. Um, and yeah, it was it was hugely high on fan service. But there are so many people who love Scream, it can afford to just do fan service and still make a lot of money. I think, and uh, it's been proving that with these two. And yeah, I think that was maybe the difference. Being in Woodsboro, being a perfect mirror of the original, having the Dewey kill. Brutal. Um, that really helped out the requel a lot. Um, and not that Scream 6 was particularly weaker in anything, but eh, some things that tried to tie up too neatly in a nice bow, almost in a Halloween ends kind of way, for, for some of the legacy of Ghostface stuff it did, when we knew. I already knew, I'd already seen it on the news before I went in that day, that Scream 7 was going to film this year, you know, so that's uh, a bit of a problem for me, but uh, overall, that's a good ranking. Oh, and Scream, the original at the very top, of course, of course. It's it, it's impeccable, it's infallible, it's so goddamn good. Every time I watch it back, I love it more for the extra tiny details. I'm still like going, ooh, there's so many great things to it. I, I think it's so funny, you couldn't, you couldn't have done this on this level to the slasher genre, unless you were one of the originators of it. Uh, Wes Craven did A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he made this to make fun of films like A Nightmare on Elm Street, and I love it so much. I love him so much for this, and it's just still a great, great horror franchise. What other horror franchises had six movies? None of them are bad. None of them are really bad. <laughs> Scream 3's not good, all right? <laughs> but but it, it's still... A good watch. I'll still enjoy Scream 3 if I'm watching it back, even though it's way too silly, way too convoluted, way too dumb, way too into Marine Prescott's backstory. Gosh. Oh. Wasted Lance Henriksen on that. What a shame. <laughs> but still, it's such a strong franchise, this many films in. It hasn't had some disaster, complete go off the rails one. Scream 3 was close.
but it hasn't. <laughs> and I love that for it. Um, I also wanted to talk about films like Scream. There's so many movies like Scream. And I know that you could say Scream is a film like Halloween, so aren't they all like Halloween? No, they're all trying to do the same meta shit that Scream does. That's the real key of Scream. It's not about someone killing people and it's also a whodunit. Although those two aspects together, brilliant. It's about the madness, and um, there's a lot of movies like that, okay? You can go back and just watch films like Halloween or Prom Night, the original, not the new one, if you want to uh, see a good example of what it is like when, A, you don't really care about the whodunit aspect, and B, you don't really care about the meta kind of comedic aspect. If you just want that proper, old-fashioned, brutal slashering of teens, Halloween. Prom night. All right. Um, other great ones, more modern ones, Theater Street. I'm not a big fan generally of Netflix movies, okay? Netflix original movies, 90% of the time, pretty bad. The Theater Street trilogy is one of the best ideas I've seen in the horror genre in a long time. I thought that was so much fun. I didn't think all three films were genius. I didn't think any of the films alone was really genius. Although, second one which is the kind of Friday the 13th <laughs> Halloween-y one. It's a slasher set in, like, the 90s. It's, it's it's kind of screaming in some ways. That was great. I loved that one. But that's because that is my style of horror. I imagine some people went and looked at the first one and thought, oh, yeah, this more kind of supernatural, that's my style of horror. And then there were probably some people that looked at the third one and went, oh, yeah, this, like, medieval, like, whoa, that's my style of horror. And um, I think it's a weird, it's a weird trilogy. It's more to be watched as a miniseries, <laughs> really. You know, you can't just watch one of them. You can almost just watch part two. If you just ignore the first, like, five minutes, last five minutes, you can probably just watch part two, as far as I remember. But Fear Street, great movies, if you like Scream. Uh, Happy Death Day is another notable one. Yeah, yeah. Doing uh, the same thing. Yeah. The same thing as Scream, but with the Groundhog Day aspect. That was a great idea, because you could be as mad as you want in a Scream-adjacent movie. You can get away with quite a lot, <laughs> as far as that goes, and it's still good. Um, and what this did was that, but with the Groundhog Day aspect, it became, like, I don't know, meta-cubed. It was, it was so, so much of it. And it was bordering on too much of it, but it got away with it. The second one, actually, yeah, even the second one didn't really hit either. I thought it was so well done. It was so much fun. That is one of the best, this is clearly meant to be like Scream movies that we've seen in the last 20 years. <laughs> the other one, Scary Movie. <laughs> if you've never seen Scary Movie and you like the Scream movies, you have to go see Scary Movie. You don't have to watch all the Scary Movies. I saw Scary Movie 5 recently. Oh. But no, you don't have to watch all the Scary Movies. Scary Movie 2, I actually still kind of enjoy, even though it's really dumb. But uh, no, Scary Movie 1, it's dumb, but it's still, even watching it back today, when some of the references, not so topical, still so much fun to watch. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, also, on a side note, a couple of films Samara Weaving did. Check those out if you're a Scream fan. Ready or not, The Babysitter? Damn! I thought those were so good, both of them. I really enjoyed both of those as modern horror comedies. Very much worth checking out. Um, so, let's move on. <clears throat> Gosh. I'm I'm on stream all the time. I should be used to talking this much, but... It feels very intense, actually. <laughs> um, so, the other new releases this week were both sports movies. These, these are the other two major... Well, okay. I don't know if we call Disney Plus movie a major release nowadays, but uh, but Champions and Chang can dunk. Um, I, yeah, okay. <laughs> both were trying to be inspirational sports movies. Both were doing it in quite different ways. Champions is essentially Woody Harrelson doing what a lot of aging actors have done in the past and just gone, hey, a coaching role to an inspirationally bad team that can become a good team and then we win something. That sounds good, doesn't it? And he takes over Force 2 because of community service. A classic, classic way to start a redemption story. Um, he gets fired from his NBA job and he has to come and coach this Special Olympics team. And 
they're, the actors on the Special Olympics team, they all do well. They're, I mean, if you're being nitpicky, <laughs> you can't be too nitpicky, all right? Then you sound like a bastard. If you're being nitpicky, there are moments where they're just looking into the camera, you know, and things like that. Does it take you out of the film? A little bit, yeah, okay. But generally, they did a good job. My biggest problem with this is that, you know, in an inspirational sports movie like this, a lot of the time, not every time, but a lot of the time, <coughs> there's going to be a romantic subplot. Because the inspirational sports movie is setting out to do one thing, be feel-good. And a romantic subplot fits into every feel-good film. It does, okay? Woody Harrelson's is Caitlin Olsen, who, I'd have to check, pretty sure she's about 20 years younger than him. A little bit weird. The scene where he came to their house and met her mother, who's probably more age-appropriate for him, it was weird. It, it felt weird then. Most of the time, it feels fine. Um, my problem is that it really takes over. You know, the whole thing is he's got these 90 days, he's got to stay with this team, he's got to coach them, and then they, if they do really well, they can go to the regional Special Olympics gold medal event tournament thing in Canada. All right. But just in the middle, you know, it's a two-hour film, and it didn't need to be two hours. This kind of film, it doesn't need to be two hours. In the middle, they really make the romance thing the main plot, pretty much, for a while. I didn't like them together, obviously, because it was kind of weird, enough for it to be the main plot of the film. I didn't like the fact that it felt like they were kind of pushing them to the front to kind of push the Special Olympics actors to the side quite a bit for quite a bit of the film. And, yeah, it just felt like the film was a little bit all over the place because of that. There was a good half hour in there, I think, where it shows a little bit of training, but it's mostly just him and her trying to decide whether they're just having a bit of fun while he's in town or whether they like each other more than that. And Yeah. So it's... If you enjoy Feel Good, if you enjoy... Uh, sports movies, <laughs> then you'll probably like this one. And I did. You know, because I do like those things, and I did enjoy this one. I just, I want to acknowledge at the same time, it's not actually great. You know, <laughs> it's, it's not actually that great, okay? It's, um, it's, it's using all of these tropes that we like, and it's got the feel-good thing, and it's like, oh, and it's Special Olympics Athletes. These actors, this is great. And, yeah, it was nice, but... Oh, I can't say outright that it was really great or anything, you know? it's Keep that in mind. I do not think... It's not even on the level that I hoped. I, I, I was mildly disappointed by the end, because I did expect and hope for a little bit more out of this one. Just... Just felt it a little bit lacking in some ways. His turnaround, like, he's never that mean. You know? I think in, in a proper Scrooge story, you need the lead to start out worse than he is. I mean, he's a drunk driver at the beginning, but actually, as soon as he's in with the team, like, he says bad words when he's in court getting sentenced to coach them. That That's as close as you get to him actually being like, oh, he's, he's an unforgivable douchebag. He'll never amount to anything, you know, he's never going to go up in our estimations and end up a nice guy at the end. And you almost have to get to that stage. Look at, I mean, any version of Christmas Carol. Look at Bill Murray and Scrooge. That's a great example of someone just being such an asshole that it's just, oh my gosh, you could never be beloved. We could never like you. And then you, they make you like him. It's meant to, any Scrooge story is meant to do that, that. It's it's meant to be able to do that and prove it can do that by making him more and more evil at the beginning. This one, it really, he was just, it was lukewarm. <laughs> he was never this cold, frigid bastard. He was, he was lukewarm at the beginning and then he was hot at the end. So, that's a bit depressing. Um, but it was still better than Chang and Doug. <laughs> oh, dear. Look. It's a trope I particularly hate. The if if the Scrooge one is one that I really like, turning this frigid bastard at the beginning into a good guy by the end, the Chank and Dunk trope is something I really hate. It's essentially Dear Evan Hansen. 
It's um, it's this story about this high school kid who isn't liked. He wants to be liked, so he does this thing, does a big lie, and then he becomes liked, and then he gets caught, and then oh god, oh god, oh god, and then somehow at the end he's redeemed. And that's the bullshit part for me. I think we should teach people real lessons. I think we should go out and say, hey, you know what? If you do something this bad, people will hate you. You'll have to go make new friends. Maybe move school. <laughs> because they're not going to like you. I don't see what's wrong with teaching kids that lesson. And also, I don't get why we're constantly glorifying, by making them the leads in these films, characters who are such bastards, you know? The, the excuse for, basically, if you don't know, Chagadug is about this kid called Chang. He makes a bet with the high school bully, who's not really that much of a bully. Um, he's just he's just kind of a bit of a douche. He, uh, he makes this bet with him that he can dunk a basketball by, I don't know, the end of their season, in a few months' time. And he bets. I can't believe we've reached the point where in an actual fairly decent-sized budget movie, where the crux of the film is a bet for a Pokemon card. He wants the guy's jersey, which has, I don't know, it was a Kobe Bryant jersey or LeBron James, one of them. Um, <laughs> and in return, he's betting a shiny Charizard card. I mean, don't get me wrong. Pokemon fucks. It's great. But, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's so dumb that we're at that stage now where that's like the, whoa, this is the best, greatest, most rarest thing I own, bitch, and everyone acknowledges it. When I was in school, you got beat up for loving Pokemon cards that much. I'm just, I'm just bitter. But <laughs> that's the crux of the film. He lies. He does all this training. He does months of training. He gets with this guy on YouTube and he trains him and he gets way better, way fitter. He gets with the girl... He, he, he becomes really good friends with her and can ask her at any point. And, you know, when he finally does ask her, she goes, finally. But he can ask her at any point and she'll be his girlfriend. So that's not important. That's not significant. The only reason he's lying and cheating by lowering the basketball hoop the night before, breaking into the school and lowering the basketball hoop the night before so that he can actually dunk it. The only reason he does that is because he's an asshole. <laughs> And the whole rest of the film, because that happens like halfway through, the whole rest of the film is everyone being like, ah, yes, but it's just part of him growing up, isn't it? Making these mistakes. Yeah, you make mistakes growing up, but that's just asshole behavior. <laughs> You're just an asshole. And everyone hits him, and then he cuts his hair, and he redeems himself, and he trains harder, and then he can actually make the team and do a dunk at the end. But he's just a prick. I don't like him. I don't want to like him. He doesn't really turn around. I don't want to like him. Gosh. It's very annoying. It's very cringy. It's not actually that bad. You know, it's kind of fine. It's fine. It's not a desperately horrible film. It's just that that kind of character in the leading role is a real pet peeve for me personally, okay? <laughs> but uh, it's fine. Yeah, that basically deals with the big new releases this week, so it's time to move on to our Movies Are Bad segment, yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> and by sometimes, I mean all the time. I like to seek out really bad movies, okay? Because they're great. <laughs> they're so much fun to watch. I, I have so much fun with it. Sometimes you make drinking games out of it. Really bad movies made by these kind of studios like The Asylum, who make Mockbusters. Last year they released Planet June. And Transmorphers. <laughs> and, and Avengers Grimm. It's just, it's just the Avengers, but if they were like Snow White and Cinderella and Slim Beauty. Also, Avengers Grimm, Time Wars. Great movies. <laughs> They're awful, awful movies, but I, I think it's so funny to seek out and watch these sometimes. So each week on the podcast, I decided I'd I'd look back at one of these that I've watched and explain it, just in case you guys are looking for similarly awful films or aren't but would love hearing them explained to you. This week, I want to talk about one of my all-time great bad movies. It's The Velocipaster. Yes. It's Velosa like Velociraptor, but pastor, like a priest. Except pastors are meant to be Protestant, aren't they? I'm not sure. But he's a priest. <laughs> In the film, he's an actual priest. And the, the, the whole film would be better described as 
Tyrannosaurus priest. Yeah, yeah. Because he doesn't turn into a Velociraptor. They keep saying he turns into a Velociraptor. When he's actually transformed, it is a, I shit you not, man in an inflatable T-Rex costume. And it's so good! <laughs> this is one of the rare films. Some movies like this know they're bad and just lean into it. Okay? And, and that's when they're at their best. Some movies are so inexcusably bad that, that you think, wow, these, these don't even know that they're bad. This is like a level below that, where it's so, so bad that you know it has to be on purpose. It is, okay? There was a shot in the opening five minutes where his parents are killed in a car explosion, where when it switches the camera away from his shocked face, it's, it's a car on the screen, and it says on the screen in text, VFX car explosion. <laughs> They didn't have the budget to do anything, so they didn't pretend like they did. So many of these movies, and I don't get why there's so many bad movies like this that don't just make themselves like an intimate family drama. Or set themselves like a play where it's all in the one room or something. They all go for big budget effects when they have no budget. And that's how these all end up being so terrible. To be fair... They still make money, because people might, like me, <laughs> go out and search for them. The Velocipaster, the actual meat and bones plot of the film, is this priest, for we don't know why, is in China, <laughs> which looks a lot like the forest in America later in the film, and he gets cut by a Velocipaster claw, turning him into the Velocipaster, who... When he gets angry, not not by the light of the full moon, it's not a werewolf. When he gets angry, because he's Hulk, he turns into a dinosaur. <laughs> and from there, he uncovers, with the help of his friendly neighborhood prostitute, a church-funded drug-smuggling ninja ring, which he has to fight and take down. The film could not be more ridiculous. It could not be funnier because it knows how dumb it is. And it couldn't be shorter. It's like 70 minutes. A lot of these are. That's the one thing. At least, even when one of these is just really, really bad, it's only like 70 minutes long. I can never switch a movie off halfway through. That's my problem. Uh, so it is awfully great. I love this movie. It's so incredibly dumb. It's so perfect, though. If you are looking for something to watch tonight, I think it's available on Amazon Prime right now. But if not, just go buy it on DVD. Find somewhere to buy it on DVD. I bought it on DVD after finding it and watching it because I needed these people to have more money. And the good news is, they're actually making a sequel! <laughs> and I cannot wait! I'm so excited for The Velocipaster 2. I, it is going to be genius. Now that that's done, it's often, you know, in this world of movies, there's sometimes this topic that kind of makes itself apparent in the world of, like, TV or gaming that I kind of want to talk about that too. This week, it's Hogwarts Legacy. Oh. I've been playing it a lot on stream, and I love it. Hogwarts Legacy is almost perfect. If I had to, right, if I had to say one thing, it's the story. The story is good. I don't think the story is bad. But the rest of the game is so damn good that comparatively, the story feels a bit weak. And if the story was better and was great, this would basically be a flawless game for me. It's so goddamn good. You are a student entering Hogwarts, you're a fifth year, but it's your first year. It's your first time there, which explains why they get to, you know, explain stuff to you. And they just have flashbacks for the main campaign where this has happened before to make you think that this is normal. The fact is, I'm pretty sure Hogwarts students are just fucking around in their first four years if you can, without a time turner, Get caught up in, in one year and do your OWLs at the end of the year. That seems, you know, but it's fine. 
you are coming to Hogwarts on a carriage. Don't know why you don't just go on the train, but Professor Fig is bringing you. It's still unclear what he teaches. I think it was magical theory or something. Um, and then you get attacked by a dragon. And it, yeah. And I, I did think at the beginning, okay, so you're traveling somewhere in a carriage. You get attacked by a dragon and then find out afterwards you're the chosen one. It's just Skyrim, right? Yes, a little bit, but it's fine. Um, you then find out that you've got this link to this ancient form of magic, which you uncover more about as you go throughout the game, and which is awesome to play with in combat as your ancient magic meter fills up. Great, great aspect. Really enjoyed them putting that in. It was really fun. I am convinced now that even though they say Hogwarts Legacy is not really canon, your character in the game is probably the most powerful witch or wizard ever. But we'll just ignore that. Um, <laughs> and then as you go throughout the game, you get to do classes in Hogwarts. You get to go on assignments for professors so that they'll teach you new spells. You get to fly around on a broomstick. They do, at the beginning of the game, the head professor cancels the Quidditch season. So you don't get to play proper Quidditch. You get to fly around in a broom. You get to fly around in a hippogriff. You don't get to play Quidditch. And that pissed me off. And if they now include it in a DLC, that'll piss me off more, because I know the DLC will be, like, £50 extra. But, um, yeah, that is, that is one thing that really shocked me. and went, oh, balls, I can't play Quidditch, that sucks. But it's fine. Um, you get a lot of exploration in this. The world is a lot bigger than I thought it would be. Hogwarts is pretty decent sized to just run around and look for collectibles and go on side missions on its own and search for secrets. There's some real deep-dive Hogwarts secret puzzles in there. Only like three of them in the whole thing. But, yeah. Um, you also get Hogsmeade, which is awesome. Lots of nice shops, lots of cool stuff to run around and see. There are secret passages that lead into it that you get to go through. There's a lot of great aspects there. And then there's the Highlands. They call it the Highlands, the other section. And that basically means everything else. All the wandering around in the Forbidden Forest you can do. Oh, yes. All the wandering around way north of Hogsmeade. Uh, there's all these hamlet little towns and villages you get to visit. There's side missions there. There's things to collect and seek out there. You can fly around between these areas and explore. Great aspects. Lots of great exploration stuff to do. If you're actually wondering how much playtime you can get out of it, I, I haven't finished yet. I'm, I'm kind of running through it, 100%ing it. But um, I think you're talking around 70 hours. Which is a little low for one of these. It's not on the level of, like, Skyrim. Where you could play it for 100 plus hours easily and not finish everything in the game. It's not on the level of, like, a, a big Fallout game, even. It's a little smaller in terms of how much content there is than all that. And... While there are a good number of what I've seen so far of, like, side missions and extra things, it's... It feels like it is missing something a little bit. It's got one main quest line, and it could easily have, like, three or four important quest lines around it. Kind of like Skyrim, you know? I think that is a great example of how to do these in order to create the max amount of content you could have. Like, there, there is a whole story around... Rookwood and these dark wizards. There's also this whole story around Ranrock and these goblins. There's your whole ancient magic thing. And they just kind of link all those roughly together. And learning all these dark curses with Sebastian, another student who gets into all these dark arts things and maybe lets you learn some unforgivable curses. It kind of just ties all that together into the main quest and it doesn't need to. Those could be like four separate quest lines. They could each of all have their own missions and side bits and that would have been better, I think. But overall... Hugely great game. Just about on five stars for me. It's a kind of nine out of ten deal, I think. Um, it is really, really well done. I love it so much. Playing through it, just running around exploring is my favorite bits. <laughs> Over doing quests most of the time. Um, and yeah, things like the combat are really well done. i got to say that. That is a great aspect of it, for sure. Um, so it is wonderful. And uh, I'm hoping we'll be able to talk more about that in the future. But... For now, well, we're wrapping up for the day. Um, the look ahead is kind of my final thing. I, I just want to give like a, a vague estimation of how I think I'm going to be enjoying some of the films that I'll be talking about on the next episode. And uh, what about I be talking about? I mean, one of the big things will definitely be Shazam: Fury of the Gods. That's coming out on Friday. That'll be uh, that'll be a big part of next week's episode. I think I'm going to enjoy it. From what I've seen in the trailers and stuff, it looks a little 
uh, like it's in, it's indulging the fact that it's a superhero fighting a dragon in the finale a little too much. I think it's going to do well. I think it's going to be fun. I, I came around more on the first Shazam as I've watched it more and think, yeah, it's actually a really good job of superhero deconstruction. My problem is I don't think they're going to lean into deconstruction of the genre as much in this one and it'll take itself a little more seriously. And that might work out well for it, but I am worried that I, it won't be... I don't think it'll be as good as the original. I think it'll be a reasonable step down without being terrible, basically. And a reasonable step down from the original eh, is kind of decent without being that good. Um, next week, it is actually a very full week, i got to say, at least here in the UK for releases. We've got two big horror releases, Play Dead, which I love the look of. think that's going to be a lot of fun, um, I'm hoping. And uh, Pearl, which I've already seen, I'll talk about because it's getting released in the UK next week. Um, and that is, that is really good. Um, there's also a couple of big British films coming out. Alleluia, which is set in a nursing home and it appears to be just a bit of a funny comedy about trying to save this nursing home. I think that's going to be a bog standard kind of three stars. I, I do not think it's going to do great things really. I think it'll be fun enough to watch, but I will not require a second viewing to... <laughs> Ever. Um, and Rye Leon is another British film coming out. Uh, that just appears to be like this kind of modern day romance in like a part of London or something. Doesn't look like much, again. I, I would estimate like a kind of three stars. I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I think it looks like it'll be funny enough and fun enough that it'll probably make that, but it could dip lower. I'm not quite sure yet about that one. I've seen the trailer. I don't know what to think. Um, and there's also some streaming releases. There are, there, there are so many releases. I'm not sure I'll be able to talk about all these on next week's episode. I will certainly try. Um, the Magician's Elephant is coming out on Netflix. It's their next big animated movie. It, I, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that one. Not, not from what I've seen so far. Netflix animation generally does surprise me though, so I, We'll see, but yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Um, and the Boston Strangler movie, yeah, with Keira Knightley in it, is coming on to Disney Plus next week. I haven't seen that yet. I don't know if that's the first place it's being released on. Don't know if it's already come out somewhere, but I might be talking about that as well if we have time next week because I'm pretty interested in, in that. I think that looks like it'll be fine. You know what? I can't get myself hyped about any of the movies for next week, really. <laughs> I think most of them will be fine. I don't see one there that I, I'm predicting I'll hate. Maybe The Magician's Elephant. If I had to predict one of these that I won't like, probably that one. But, yeah, Boston Strangler again. Looks like it could be good. Probably a slow burner. Yeah, which will probably even out to being, like, three stars. Yeah, I honestly, I cannot predict a... Yeah, Shazam 2, maybe a four star. Play Dead and Pearl. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them probably more like four stars. Overall, I hope you guys had fun this week, and I had fun a lot with trying this out, with doing this. I, um, I'm really hoping to continue this just weekly, and uh, you know what? There's always movies coming out, and movies are always going to be good. I hope. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you guys. I hope you uh, follow or subscribe on whichever platform you're watching or listening or viewing on, and uh, I will see you then for that next week. 